This is a free download from Delancey Elim Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at La Banks St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. Embracing God's assignments. You know, so I got all these bits of paper. Just a that, okay. And I want to look at the book of Jonah. If you ever read the book of Jonah, and I want to talk about embrace. You know, God has got an assignment for every single believer. Has got an assignment. That wonderful. Every single one of us has got an assignment for God. You know, God's mission is just to spread His gospel around the world. Make disciple of, of all the nations. And, and he, if you like, it's an it's a all-hand-on-deck enterprise, if you like. And I think every one of us has an assignment. Every single person has an assignment from God. Every one of us, no matter how young, how old, whatever, where we are, every single person, every single Christian, every single believer has an assignment for God. So we all believe that. So we can start off with that amazing foundation. Let me just show you one verse before we get to Jonah. So now you've all turned to Jonah. Let me just look at one quick verse just to set the foundation, if you like, for it. Colossians chapter 4. I want you to look at an interesting character, Colossians 4, 17. Archippus, remember that man? It says in verse 17, he says, Take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you may for." that think about this individual he'd been wavering and almost lost sight of, of of lost sight of what god had called him to do lost sight of, of his assignment lost sight of god's calling on his life and other things that distracted his life he got distracted from the assignment that god gave to him and so paul writes and says don't forget the assignment that you have Make that your priority. Don't lose sight of it. And it's so easy to lose sight of, of the priority of, of the assignment that God has given to us. I want to just think of this man called Jonah. Here's this man, Jonah. He had an incredible experience with God. I haven't got time to go into it, but if you look at 2 Kings 14, he actually was a prophet to King Jeroboam. And the prophecy that he gave to King Jeroboam absolutely impacted this man's life. Changed this king's life because of the prophecies of Jonah. He had a a prophetic ministry. He had an incredible experience with God. But he was limited because he struggled with this sense of the grace and the mercy of God. And that limited him in his ability to fulfill the assignment that God gave to him. Let's look at, just look at his life. Jonah chapter 1. Here's the first thing. I think to fulfill your assignment that God's given to you, we need the presence of God. How many realize that? We just, if we really are to fulfill the assignment that God, God has given to us, we need the presence of God. Jonah chapter 1. First three verses, 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatel, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against them for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them in Tarshish from the Prince of the Lord. So here's this thing. God calls him to go to, we would call, Iraq. But instead of going to Iraq, he goes to Spain. How many would sort of probably choose that, really? You know, if you've got the choice, where should I go, Iraq or Spain? Suddenly Spain seems a little bit more, how many would feel Spain seems quite nice rather than going to Iraq? And so he goes. I want to see something. As you read those verses through, you see that the, the presence of the Lord being mentioned a number of times. And we talk about the prince, we, we know God's everywhere. We're talking about the, the tangible presence of God that, can, that God connects with people. So the Bible's, you know, where we feel his presence, where we experience his presence, where we, you know, connect with his presence. And it's the presence of God ultimately that changes our lives. I don't realize that. It's the presence of God that shapes you. It's the presence of God that, that does all that is necessary to be done in our lives. And we, how many realize we need the prince of God? You know what I've discovered? that Have you ever realized this? Do, but do you know you, you carry a presence with you? Sometimes there's an unseen atmosphere that we carry with our lives. And we have a choice what kind of atmosphere we carry with our lives. We can either carry a, a, a negative atmosphere. We can either carry a kind of oppressive atmosphere. The kind of atmosphere that we carry on our lives is often down to the choice that we make. Let me show you one verse that kind of sums this up. This has been a, a verse that's been a real blessing to me. In Romans 8, verse 5. I think this shows us the kind of atmosphere that we carry around us. We all carry an atmosphere. Have you found that? That you can carry such an atmosphere over your life that you can go into the most negative situation and you can change it. Or, on the opposite way, there could be a real positive atmosphere and you could be so negative that when you go into that atmosphere, you change it. You know, people could be really happy and joyful. You come on the scene and... Whew, that kind of heavy atmosphere falls. Or, on the other hand, you can be in a real heavy atmosphere and you're full of joy and full of love and suddenly the whole atmosphere changes simply because you turn up. Isn't that wonderful? I think we can be atmosphere changers. And Romans 8, verse 5 says this word. This is how we really how it's defined. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind according to the things of the Spirit. In other words, where your focus is will change the atmosphere that you carry on your life. For example, if you focus on, your, on fear, if that's your focus, and you, and you focus on fear, you think about your fear, your, your mind and your focus is always on your fear, you're going to carry with you an atmosphere of fear. If 
you focus on maybe some wrong thing that's been done to you, some hurt, some, some wrong thing that's been brought on your life, and you focus on, on what's that, that wrong thing that's been done against you, that injustice over your life, and you focus on that, you tend to carry an atmosphere of bitterness with you. But here's what Paul's saying. If you set your mind on the things of God, if you focus on God, you consciously set your mind on God, then you'll create an atmosphere of God over your life. It's really down to what you focus on. And so Paul says, set your mind on God. Develop a God consciousness, a God awareness. And that comes by what you set your mind on. If you set your mind on negative things and and all the, the wrong and bad things around you, And that's an atmosphere you carry around you. But you just set your mind on God. You set your mind on the love of God. You set your mind on the peace of God. You set your mind on the joy of God. You set your mind on on God's miracle working power. You start setting your mind on those things. And it's amazing how the atmosphere of your life just begins to change and alter. And I think God wants us to live our lives as spirit-empowered people. Wherever we go, we're just carrying and we're just aware. We've got this God consciousness that that we're aware that God is with us in all situations of life, that God's with us there. And that's what we set our minds on. And I think church ultimately is about the presence of God. You know what Moses said? He says, God, unless your presence goes with us, I'm not going. We are never able to be all that we should be unless your presence goes with us. We'll never be different from any other people around us. We won't be different from any other nation unless your presence goes with us. The thing that will distinguish us as a nation is your presence. And ultimately, the thing that distinguishes us as a church from any social club is not that we do different activities ultimately, but it's that we have the presence of God. That's the distinguishing mark. That's the thing that separates us from anybody else is that we are carriers of the presence of God and we're consciously aware of God's presence and Jonah ran from his assignment and as he went from his assignment he moved away from the presence of God why did he move from the presence why did he move from the assignment there's a thing He didn't like what God said to him. Isn't it amazing that sometimes God will say things to us that we don't always necessarily like, right? He'll tell you to love people that humanly you don't want to love. He'll tell you to forgive people that you don't necessarily want to forgive. He'll ask you to do things that you don't feel you've got the ability or the power to do. In fact, usually when God speaks to us, he calls us into something that we can't really fulfill in our own ability and power and always kind of moves us out of that realm where we feel very comfortable in. I found that God is always calling us to do something that we've not done before. Doing things for the first time. Have you found that? It's great to do something for the first time because when you do it for the first time, you know how weak you are to do it and you become more dependent on God to do it. And so Jonah came and God said, I've got this assignment for you. 
I want you to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh is the most cruelest city you could ever imagine. If you read ancient history, you'd see some of the incredible, cruel things that they did. They would do things like this. You know how they would drag people along? They'd put, they put fish, uh, fish hooks under people's chins and draw them You know, they are known, sorry to shock you for your Sunday lunch, but they would skin people alive. It's one of the most cruelest cities that you'd ever, ever imagine. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to the most barbaric, cruelest place you can ever imagine, and there I want you to preach my gospel. I want you to preach and call them to repentance. The thing that strikes you, that often when God gives you an assignment, he often calls you to a situation that you really wish you didn't find yourself in. And I've found often in situations that God brings you in that you don't want to really want to be in, often bring things inside you that you didn't even know were there. Have you found that? You find yourself in, God calls you, directs you to do a certain thing, and while you're doing it, you suddenly find things in you that you didn't realize were there. Things in you begin to rise to the surface. Attitudes. Bad attitudes that you weren't even aware were there, but that situation draws up in your life the attitudes that you didn't realize were there. All kinds of stuff begins to, to rise up in you. Issues that God really wants to do with. And here's our problem, that when God begins to confront those things, the desire for all of us is to run away from it. We don't want to confront those issues. We don't want to confront those attitudes. We don't want to confront a certain lifestyle in us. So the easiest thing we do is we run away from what God is confronting and what God is dealing with. And ultimately, that was Jonah was doing. It wasn't so much the place. It was the issue that God was confronting him in his life that he wanted to run from. And that's what takes place. And notice when he ran away from what God was confronting, when he ran from what God was calling him to do, when he ran from the assignment that God called upon his life, notice what happened. He says, Jonah went down. <laughs> he went down. When you draw away from what God is seeking to deal with, when you draw away from what God is seeking to confront and causing you to face up with, you know what happens? We begin to go down. Our prayer life goes down. Our cutting edge goes down. Our fire goes down. Our passion for God goes down. Our desire for God goes down. Here's the thing about God. God never gives up on his plan. And he says, you know what? Because you've run away from me, I'll tell you what, we will set a different plan and a different assignment for, for you. God never backed up from it. He was just waiting until Jonah was willing to face it and deal with it. Maybe today you're someone that you feel you've kind of drawn back on God. Maybe you drew back because you got... You, because you failed in a certain way and you've drawn back from God. Maybe there are some issues in us, maybe, that we are unwilling to deal with. 
And we try and bury it. We try to kind of distance ourselves from it. But here's what to see. God won't give up. Learn that lesson now. It will save you so much pain, so much hassle, if you'd realize it now. God will not give up until that is dealt with, until you've moved forward. Now notice what happened because of that. Go back to Jonah. Here's the first thing that happened because he ran from the presence. He says, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. Threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had laid down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleep? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps God, perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Here he is. This storm arises. Isn't it interesting that nobody connected the storm to the issue? Sometimes there's certain things going on in our life and we never really connect what's going on with maybe an issue in us. And that's what happened. There was no recognition. And I find often what happens is, is that when we don't follow our assignment, we don't follow the plan, the purpose God has for us, we tend to look for other substitutes. When you find yourself running from God, when you find yourself running from what he's called you to do, we begin to find substitutes from that. You know what? We can even do things for God as a substitute from doing the thing God called us to do. Our hobbies can become a substitute. Our careers. So many things that take our hearts and our minds away from what God is really calling us to do. Trying to fill our lives with the vacuum that is left because we've moved away from the assignment that God got for us. And the other thing you find, because he moved from the presence of God. The other thing what happened is that he became uncaring from, for people. I think when we walk away from the presence of God, we lose that compassion for people. Our hearts become kind of hard. Ultimately, the only thing that keeps you and I and keeps our hearts tender and soft is the presence of God. Without that presence of God, every one of us will tend to find our hearts growing cold and hard. It's just a natural recurrence of coming out the prince it's only the prince of god that keeps your heart soft and tender only realize that and so because he'd moved from the presence his heart become cold and callous to other people we're told that he was also asleep when you lose the prince of god you lose that ability to spiritually recognize what's going on around you you don't recognize the word of God. You don't recognize what God is doing. And no matter what is preached, what is said, it seems to go right over your head. It doesn't seem to connect. It doesn't seem to have impact on the heart. We come to that place of being spiritually asleep. And there's what happened as well. He couldn't deal with the storm. This is call on your God. Pray. He couldn't pray. When you lose the presence of God, you haven't got the inner resources 
to deal with the storm that hits your life. The peace isn't there. The joy's not there. The sense of God's not there. And because of that, when the storms come and hit our lives, we haven't got the inner resources to face it and to deal with and come through. Isn't it true? If you've got the joy of God, if you've got the peace of God, I don't think there's anything that can really, really overwhelm your life. Really, ultimately, is that right? What happens is it's often where there's been a deterioration spiritually that when the thing hits us, we haven't got the inner sources to rise up and meet the storm. Because you know what's happened? Because when you move from the presence of God, you haven't got the grace of God. The grace of God is God's enabling power to enable you to do all that God has called you to do. But we need the presence for that. Is that right? The presence. We need the presence. Look at verse 17 of this. I thought this was a powerful thing. See, God's never taken by surprise. He says, oh, what am I going to do now, Jonas? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Notice what it says in verse 17. Now the Lord had what prepared. He prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah I think that when we move from the presence of God, when we distance ourselves from God's presence, I think there's all kinds of things that can come and swallow us up. That fish of discouragement, that fish of negativity, that fish of despair. And really what they do is they bring you to a point where you're desperate to change. You see, sometimes until things begin to get a hold of us, negative things get a hold of us, sometimes we're unwilling to change. It's when you become desperate that God begins, you begin to allow God to change you. I think often that when we are kind of allowing things to go on well, that we, we just think we can carry on as we are. But suddenly there comes something that confronts that. And suddenly we realize, God, I need you. I've been so far away from you for so long, and I realize I need to change. There's things in me I need to deal with, there's things I need to change, and I'm willing to deal with it. I'm willing to deal with that attitude. I'm willing to deal with that bitterness. I'm willing to deal with that self-opinionated situation. It says in verse 9, remember before he's moaning, complaining about everything, and suddenly while he's in that fish, I call it a fish hotel, yeah, everything's dark. Everything's going pretty bad for him. And suddenly now, he stops from blaming everybody else and realizes, I've got to change my attitude. I've got to have change. And I think verse 9 is the change in his life. It says this, but I will sacrifice to you, 2 verse 9. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will power what I vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jesus, many years later, used Jonah being in the, in the, bed, in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights as a picture of his resurrection, as the son of man. As Jonah was in, in the belly of a fish, so the son of man will be in the belly of earth for three days and three nights. You now what kind of strikes me? 
Sometimes we look at this, you know, I've, I've so failed, I've so messed up. Even your failures don't disqualify you from God using you. Because even though Jonah ran from the presence, even though Jonah failed, it still did not disqualify him from God saying, Jonah, I'm still going to use you. Because you've changed, because you're willing to, to deal with this, then I'm still going to use you. And God can even use your failures to a stepping stone for greater success. Isn't that amazing? I just love that. I just love the fact that none of us have messed up and failed enough for God to give up on us. Isn't that wonderful? The first thing is, for the assignment, we need the presence. Second thing is this. The assignment does not change until God says it will change. You see, when you get hold of something, God's plan God's assignment for you will always be greater and will always in the long term work for your benefit. And I think what God wants you to do, he wants you to, to speak the testimony of what God's given to you. When you've gone through those difficult times, I think you have got an incredible testimony that as you speak that testimony out, it becomes transferable. Let me show you what I mean. If God has healed you, as you begin to declare that test of God's healing to you, he releases a word of God that can actually bring healing to somebody else. I've seen that happen. I've seen someone healed of a certain condition. They testify about that condition of what God has healed them. A person in that room with exactly the same condition is healed. Because there's what happens. You think to yourself, well, if God did it for them, then surely he can do it for me as well. You have a breakthrough then you've got a word of breakthrough that you can share with somebody else that can bring a breakthrough in their life. I've seen that happen so many times. They were, maybe someone had, had a financial breakthrough. And someone thinks, you know what, I've got the same financial problem that person had. And if God gave them a breakthrough, as you testify to that, it releases a word of testimony that actually releases something of God into that person's life. The Bible says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's that? That means as you testify to what Jesus has done into you, it becomes a prophetic word that you can release to somebody else that can actually impact them. Isn't it lovely how God does that? And I've seen that happen so many times. Now, third thing is this, and this is the main thing really. Assignment must be something of the heart. Get a hold of that. It's got to be something of the heart. Let me just see something. Even though he got back to his assignment, his heart really had not changed. His heart hadn't been enlarged enough for God to do what he wanted to do. Look at verse 10. Here he is, chapter 3, verse 10. He's preached this amazing message, preached the gospel to them, told them to repent, told them to turn away. And in verse 10, and here's the thing is, as he preached, people responded. And the whole city repented and got right with God. Isn't that amazing? The wickedest city you could ever imagine, as this message is preached through somebody who didn't really want to preach it, he preaches it, and everybody repents. Everybody gets right with God. How many would have thought that that's, good, that's a good reason to celebrate? You think he'd be dancing around, ah, wonderful. But look what happened in verse 10. 
Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What happened? The words were there, but the heart had still not been enlarged. As far as he was concerned, the people deserved judgment. You know what ultimately grace is? Grace is God blessing someone that doesn't deserve it. And there's not one person in this room that deserves anything from God. Can you say amen? And so grace is receiving things from God that we don't deserve. And that's what God wants to happen to you. Because you've experienced that grace, he wants you also to be a person of grace. He wants you to begin to bless people that in your estimation don't deserve it. But the only way you give grace out is when you really receive it, when you, become, when you have a revelation of it. I found often people who are very hard and very judgmental, ultimately and very critical, ultimately don't really have a revelation of grace. Because if you have a revelation of grace, that's the way you respond to other people. You have a, the same grace that you've received, you begin to treat people in that same way. If you've never had a revelation of grace, then I doubt whether you'll treat, treat, treat people in a graceful way. It really begins by recognizing how graceful God has been to you. And the more graceful you see God has been to you, the more you begin to respond to others. You see your need of mercy. You recognize how merciful God has been to you. And so you begin to respond that way. Here's what often happens. We kind of know in our heads that we should forgive people. And we all realize that, don't we? And so we tend to say, I will forgive you, but I really want to make you pay. I'll ignore you. I will be cool towards you, but I still forgive you. I'll have a certain attitude. You know, I'll have an attitude towards you, and you will become aware of how I am towards you, but I still forgive you. Can you see what I'm saying? That we say it because we know that's what God wants, but in our hearts, there is still a response of unforgiveness. Because we want that person to be so aware of what they've done. And we want them in some way to pay for what they've done. And so, the reality is, the judgmental spirit and attitude is still there. And I think it, it's one of the things that can so limit what God's assignment in our life, because we can never fulfill an assignment for God if there's still a judgmental spirit in us, if we're still judging, if we're still critical, if we're still full of negativity to people. We can never fill the assignment because the assignment can only truly be fulfilled with hearts that are full of grace and mercy. Because every time God will send you on an assignment, it will always be to someone that doesn't deserve it. And the danger is we begin to address that. We begin to think that. We begin to have an attitude of that. How do you respond when somebody else is really blessed? Have read that? Maybe you've been praying 
I don't know, for a new car. Let's give that for an example. You pray for a new car. And for months and months and months, no answer, no response. And then some person that you don't think is that committed comes and says, look what God's given me. Look at my brand new car. And you think to yourself, I'm praying more than that person. I'm more committed. Why has God blessed them? Now, you won't say that. You'll say, hallelujah, praise God. I'm so happy for you. But deep inside, you're mad. You're gritted teeth. I'm so pleased God has blessed you so much. I remember that many, many years ago now in the first church we were in. We had this really horrible, run-down building. And this, this, friend, this pastor friend invited me to his church. And he just bought a brand new carpet. I mean, when you walk in that carpet, you kind of sunk in it. And I was so, I mean, I was angry in my heart. And I was in my, in my I was going to say, I'm so happy, I'm so pleased for you. So wonderful to see you, so blessed. But you see, this is the heart that God looks at, isn't it? And God says, to fulfill my assignment, the mercy and grace has got to be there. There's a fourth, fourth thing is this. To embrace God's assignment, you have to value people. Look what he did here, for verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and says, Ah, Lord God, was not this where I said when I was still in my country, therefore I fled previously to tarnish. I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing good. Therefore, O Lord, Take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to believe. In other words, he knew that God disagreed with him of how God valued people. It's a challenge, really, and I'm constantly battling with this, really. Do we value people the way that God values people? Have you ever thought the value of a soul, how valuable one human soul is? This is how valuable it is. Jesus says, you could gain the whole world, yet lose your soul. In other words, one soul is more valuable than all the wealth, all the pomp, all the glory of the world. And really to fulfill an assignment for God, it really begins when we value the importance of a human soul. When we value. In other words, when you value something, you'll do anything to gain it. Is that right? You will. If you really value something, you'll give anything you've got to get it. When you value a human soul, you'll do anything to win a soul. Because you value a soul. If we don't really see the value of it, and we're really not willing to pay the price, to pay the cost that sometimes it takes to win a soul. And we've got to, I think, more if we, we learn nothing from Jonah, we say, Lord, teach me the value of a human soul. Teach me what it means for someone to be lost. Teach me what it means for someone not to know you in a personal way. Teach me the value of that kind of soul. Teach me the value of a soul. I think that's so vital because God asks for us to be people of mercy. And here is J- 
Jonah's problem. His problem is his heart's too small. God's saying, I want you to represent me. I want you to reveal my heart. I want you to have a heart large enough that welcomes hurting, broken people. So Jonah, when he's challenged on how he values a human soul, how he values people, God teaches him a lesson of how we lose sight of value of human souls. Verse verse 6 to 10. And the Lord prepared a plant, made it come over Jonah, but it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm. And so he damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened that when the sun arose, that God prepared a, a vermin east wind, the sun beat on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint, and he wished death for himself, and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then Jonah, and God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Here's the thing, I want to see something. As he begins, he gets very angry about a plant. Now think about this. He's not really, he's angry that human beings, people have not been judged, yet he's angry about a plant. Here's what to see. Here's the power of this, really. The affections of your heart are often an indication of where you are with God. The affections of the heart. What really affects, what you really feel in your heart really shows where you are in God. I want to quote to you from a man called Jonathan Edwards. He was a great revivalist in the 1700s, incredible revivalist, uh, someone who, whose works I love to read. Listen to what he said. He said, He who has only doctrinal knowledge and theory without affection is never engaged in the goodness of faith. Okay? I assert that no change of religious nature will take place unless the affections are moved. I believe the Holy Spirit is a spirit of holy affections. They bring about fervor in our hearts. I've shared this, I think I've shared this before, I've shared it a lot, but forgive me for this. You watch a film, let's give that example, you watch a film, Lassie, you've been watching Lassie for the last two hours, and, and Lassie has lost its, it's lost its, you know, I'm moved to tears just thinking about it, but, uh, but you know, Lassie's lost its owners, and it's gone on all these wanderings, you know, kicked around, treated badly, and suddenly, and the owners have given up, they never see Lassie again, and suddenly, over the hill comes this dog. We noticed there was limping, you know. It's limping over the hill, this dog. And, and you're watching it, and suddenly, you know, tears just flow down your eyes. You're just so moved as you see Lassie coming over the hill. Now, think about it. When you hear of somebody who's broken and hurting away from God, doesn't seem to move you, doesn't seem to touch you, yet Lassie does. How many would say that there's something wrong 
with that kind of affectionate heart. And that's what really Jonah was on about. The wrong things were not affecting. See, what things move your heart? In fact, what things get you angry? angry? What really gets you angry? What moves you? Do you get angry when maybe, I don't know, things don't work as you want them to work? Your day doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. That moves you. That stirs you up. But yet the condition of people doesn't seem to move us or affect us. And that's what Jonathan Edwards is saying. You measure your place with God by what affects your heart, by what moves your heart. Does worship move your heart? Does the word of God stir you? Does being in God's presence, prayer, really stir you, really move you? Because that really is indication, ultimately, of what's going on inside us. What moves our affections? What really moves us? What's really there working in us? See, when your heart's full of negativity and, and judgmental things, it causes the heart not to be moved with the affections of God. When your heart's full of God, you're full of joy. Why is that? Because God's a God of joy, and his affections become your affections. You become full of love. You love people, the unlovely people. The people, naturally, you'd feel hard to love, but something in you is moved about them. The Bible says that when Jesus saw broken, sick people come to him, Paul says he was moved with compassion. Something stirred him. Something moved him in his heart. And because his heart was moved with compassion, he allowed the power of God to flow out of him and to bring healing and wholeness. And I found there's always a connection between the moving of compassion and the moving of power. If there's very little compassion, there'll be very little power. But where there's a great move of compassion, there'll be a great move of God's power. They always are intimately connected compassion, and power. And so God works on our hearts to, to give us his affections. I've shared before, and I'll close this, Jonathan Edwards' wife, she was so moved with God, she laughed for three weeks, just in joy. Three weeks, she said, of ecstasy. She was so moved by the affections of God's spirit in her, she had such joy. She had joy and laughter for three whole weeks. He said he she didn't do any cooking. God forbid, man. She didn't do any housework. He says, but she was so overwhelmed by the affections of God, the joy of God just so filled her heart. How many say we need, don't we need more of that today? We need so much more joy and love and grace and mercy. And you can never naturally produce that. It only comes as the Spirit of God moves in you. And as the Spirit of God moves in you, you can mark it by how your affections change. Think about yourself. Think about the people that before you came to Christ, you really did, couldn't, you couldn't have any time for them. Suddenly, you just love them. There's a new joy there. There's a new peace there. Your, your whole life is changed. How is it changed? By the affections of your heart. And God says, the assignment I've got for you, you will fulfill it, that I would change you, the affections of your heart. And you become a person of incredible love and joy and peace. And then my power 
will flow through you to change and to fulfill and meet a broken, hurting world. Let's just come before him right now. So much more I could have just brought to that. I think God wants us just to, to enlarge our hearts. Because there's the point. Unless our hearts are enlarged, it always puts a lid on the assignment that God has got for us. Just put your hand on your heart. Say, Lord, give me your affections. Help me to be moved by the things that move you. Help me to feel your heart for what you have a heart for. Help me to love what you love, to hate what you hate, to rejoice over what you rejoice over. Just to have a heart like Jesus. Not just to have his words, but to have his heart. Have a heart of Jesus. I pray God would touch us. May he break us with the things that break his heart. Not be like Jonah that are moved by the things that really are not that important really. But move with things that are one of the highest importance to heaven. Father, we just come before you today and we say, Lord, do a work in all our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, that you've given an assignment to every single believer here today. We rejoice, Lord, you've called us for such a time as this. Thank you, God, you've given us an amazing assignment to reach out to a hurting, broken world. But Lord, we're so aware this, it's almost mission impossible because we can't do it in our power and strength. And so, Lord, we need your presence. We need your anointing to fulfill it. But also, Lord, we need your heart to do it. Give us that heart, the heart of Jesus. Give us your, give us your heart, Lord, to feel the way you feel, to see the way you see, to reach out the way you reached out. Give us the heart of Jesus, we pray. For this broken world, Lord, we don't want to be just full of anger and judgment to it, Lord. We pray, give us hearts of mercy and grace, I pray, that we may reflect the love of Jesus. Oh, because we ask it. Oh, in his mighty name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Just thank you, God. For the wonderful heart of God towards us today. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delance Healing Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.